Hello, everyone. This is Tim Finan, host of Granite Talk. As you may have guessed from the intro music, we have a special baseball-themed episode for you today. When thinking about the origins of baseball, most people immediately think of Abner Doubleday up in Cooperstown, New York. But in fact, one of the true founding fathers of baseball is from right here in New Hampshire, just up the road in Mount Vernon. Today, I spoke with Doc Adams' great-granddaughter Marjorie Adams. Marjorie tells us all about Doc and her effort to get him enshrined in baseball's Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. So if you, like me, are missing baseball these days, sit back and listen to Marjorie Adams tell us the story of Doc Adams from Mount Vernon, New Hampshire. Welcome, everybody, to a very exciting episode of Granite Talk. My special guest today is Marjorie Adams. Marjorie is the great-granddaughter of Mont Vernon, New Hampshire's own Doc Adams. Uh, Daniel Lucius Adams, which is his full name, is one of the founding fathers of baseball, or at least as the baseball as we know it. Um, so thank you very much, uh, Marjorie, for speaking to us. Well, thank you, Tim. It's very nice of you to invite me. Ah, and you may not remember this, but we actually met. Oh, dear. <laughs> when? We, uh, you came and spoke at the Milford Rotary back in oh, yes. 2017. Yes. And I was, I was in the audience that day. I remember that. That was very nice. Such nice people. Yeah, and we, uh, and we sponsored your, the tournament for Doc up in Mont Vernon that summer. Oh, and that was such fun. So, and that's one of the things I do want to talk about at some point when we get to it. Sure. So, so that's great. So thank you again. Um, I think you have such a great story, not only the story of Doc, but just your story. I mean, you have a great story of how you got involved in it, and, and you, you know, as we'll get to, you're trying to get him in the Hall of Fame, and it's, it's so between the two of you, have some you have uh, great stories to tell. So, hoping. Well, thank you. I hope so. Yeah, hope we can get to all we that. Shall, we, we shall see. We shall see. <laughs> so, why don't we just start with? Um, can you kind of give your elevator pitch? You know, your you know brief uh, high level. Who is Doc Adams? Doc Adams was a practicing physician in New York City from 1840 until he retired from medicine in 1865. And for most of those years in New York City, he played amateur baseball, first with the New York Baseball Club. And then in 1845, he joined the New York Knickerbocker Baseball Club. And the following year, he was elected their vice president. And then in 1847, he served as president position he held on and off for many years. And then in 1857, he wrote The Laws of Baseball. And that's really where his story gets most interesting. It was Doc's calculation to set the bases at 90 feet. And that was in his laws in 1857. Additionally, he created the shortstop position in 1849. And so he loved baseball, but did retire from the game in 1865. Excuse me, he retired from the game in 1862 and from medicine in 1865. Great. That's, that's, a, that's a, a great, great high level. I want to drill down into a bunch of that stuff that you talked about. Um, sure. First of all, how did, so how did you get involved in this? So you're his great-granddaughter, right? Yes. So how did Isn't you... That's strange. Are, are He's you, only my great-grandfather. His youngest son was born when Doc was 60. 
His youngest son was my grandfather. And my grandfather was in his 60s when I was born. No, he was older than that. He was in his late 60s when I was born. And my father was 40 when I was born. So that's how it is that there's only three generations, two generations separating Doc from me. And I got involved with this. Well, I'd always sort of known some of it from family stories growing up, but I didn't know much. Um, And in 2011, in June, my sister sent me a book entitled Baseball in the Garden of Eden, The Secret History of the Early Game by John Thorne. John is the official historian for Major League Baseball. Of course, I didn't know that at the time. I really didn't know much of anything. And right there in the flyleaf is Doc's name. I read that book in one weekend and learned more about Doc from John Thorne than I ever did from the family. Hmm. And that's sort of what started it. And and you've been going about, ever since. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, about three weeks after I got the book, I turned on the local TV just to get the weather report. And there were two men in old baseball uniforms, and all I heard was the name of their group, the Friends of Vintage Baseball in Hartford, Connecticut. Long story short, I went online, found out that the head of the organization was going to be speaking at a historical society on early baseball. This is all in the same month. The the timing was, it was karma. It was all karma. So I went to the meeting. The second slide on the screen was Doc Adams. I couldn't believe it. Hmm. Because I really didn't think anybody knew who he was. I barely knew who he was. Long story short, this nice man was a man by the name of Gary O'Maxfield, who's head of the Friends of Vintage Baseball, and that was the springboard, was that moment at the Historical Society and that lecture. And here I am today. Great. Hoping to get him on the ballot in November. Yes, for the Hall of Fame. We're gonna Again. Get, we're going to get to that. I think, I think this is the year. So we'll get to that, too. Um, before getting into, his, into the specifics of what he did for baseball, are you very familiar with his um, connections to Mont Vernon? Do you know anything? Do you know where he lived or anything like that? that yes. Oh. Um, I have been to Mont Vernon. What a pretty town. Mm-hmm. His house no longer exists. The house where he was born no longer exists. It burned down in the 1890s. Wow. And there's a lovely building there now. It's, I think they're condos. Okay. It's a nice turn-of-the-century building. Very pretty, up high up on a hill. Oh, nice. Um, so, yes, I have been to Mont Vernon. Is, is there any it's evidence? lovely. Is there any evidence that he played baseball in Mont Vernon? None. None, none. okay. Because he, um, he left Absolutely your... none. Okay. In fact, our earliest mention of it is a letter he wrote his sister in 1836. And uh, he was at Yale, and he apparently had left his bat and ball for her to play with. And she wrote him and told him that she'd misplaced it and that she hadn't used it. Hmm. And that's our first reference. Interesting. But, you know, at the time, there were lots of different bat and ball games. I mean, there there was cricket. Right. Um, There was wicket. There was one cat. There were several versions of cat. Mm-hmm. There was, uh, there was a game in Massachusetts. There was rounders. Round ball. Rounders, if round I ball. Yeah. You know, there were all these variations. 
So we don't know what sort of bat and ball game he was playing, but it does show an early interest in sports. Mm. Oh, nice. Uh, Mont Vernon does still recognize him, though. A uh, couple things. They do that that uh, tournament, correct? Yes, they do, in, uh, in August. In August of every year, I suspect, probably due to the uh, pandemic, it may not be happening this yeah. year, uh, unfortunately. Mm. But, uh, yeah, so, I know. so there's the... And uh, then, two years ago... Thanks to the effort of Zoe Fimble, who's with the Mont Vernon Historical Society, they added a sign to the Welcome to Mont Vernon sign that uh, says birthplace of Daniel Lucius Doc Adams, M.D., a founding father of baseball. Yes, I knew that, that. That was added in 2018. Yeah, they're nice signs. They're writing because, as, as, as I'm beautiful? sure you know, because Mont Vernon always had a really very nice kind of um, calligraphy almost type sign, you know, welcoming to you to Mont Vernon. And they added the little plaque, not a plaque, but a little hanging sign underneath it that said... Uh, they home. did indeed. It's very nice. It's uh, As a matter of fact, I drove up there just the other day because I wanted to see it again. I'd seen it before, but I wanted to make sure it was still there. <laughs> and it sure well, is. it's a beautiful one, isn't it? It sure is. It sure is. Okay, so all right. Before let's 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 jump uh, let's jump to Abner Doubleday first. Let's let's talk about him because he's the as you know most listeners, most people who are listening to this, most likely you ask somebody who invented baseball. Most people say Abner Doubleday, uh, although that's largely um, debunked nowadays. Uh, I that believe. is debunked. It is debunked. So it, it is debunked. What do you know it about Abner? Debunked. It's up there with. Up there with the tooth fairy and the man in the moon. <laughs> I would call that debunk. That's that's good. But he is recognized, unfortunately, in in, in the Hall of Fame is in Cooperstown, New York, um, because that's where Abner, where the story. So the story goes, and correct me if, I, if I'm wrong. The story goes that Abner Doubleday invented baseball in a in a in a pasture in Cooperstown, New York, and is the to the, to this day. Well, not to this day because I'm sure it's a replica. But there's a field, uh, Double Day Field, right there in Cooperstown, which is actually beautiful. Have you ever been to Cooperstown? Marjorie? I have, and it is beautiful. It's a, it's a great, it's a nice little field, and it, it's a great story. But it's just that it's a myth. It is. It is a complete myth. It was first debunked by a man named Henderson. His first name, Robert Henderson, who worked for the New York Public Library, and he debunked it in about eight in about 1940. Mm-hmm. And when the Hall of Fame officially opened in 1939, there were a lot of people who were questioning the Doubleday story. And it was claimed that Doubleday smote the ground in 1839 and invented baseball. Well, in 1839, Doubleday was at West Point the entire year. Hmm. And those who have done real research have said there is no record of Doubleday ever leaving West Point in 1839. And nor is there any reference in any of Doubleday's letters or diaries to the game of baseball. There is one letter that exists, and I've never seen it, from the 1880s, when Doubleday was head of a fort in Texas. And he wrote the quartermaster in Washington to request the implements of baseball for his men. Hmm. That's it. That's the only reference that Doubleday ever made 
to the game. Doubleday was also very good friends with Albert Spaulding. Oh, really? And and considering Spaulding and his association with the game, if Doubleday had invented it, you would think he would have told Spaulding at some point. Well, he never did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the Doubleday myth is exactly that. As I said, if you believe in the Doubleday myth, you also believe in the, in the you know, uh, in the man in the moon. <laughs> okay, with that, we'll move on from Abner Doubleday. Have I made myself perfectly clear? You sure have. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, although, before moving on from here, correct me if I'm wrong, I do not believe he's in the Hall of Fame, Abner Doubleday. No, he is not. Okay. so He, is, he does not have a plaque. There is a painting mm-hmm. and um, a carefully worded message that accompanies the portrait at the Hall of Fame. It's way in the back. Okay. You have to look for it. But that has not stopped the town of Cooperstown from, you know, naming everything after Doubleday. Yeah, I know it. Uh, and that's all right. I was going to say, you know, one of the one of the things I love about baseball and I love baseball, it's it's because it's so much more than a sport. I mean, it it's got history and tradition and, you know, it's it you know, really it grew up the same time the country was growing up and it's got a lot so you know when you go to cooperstown and you, and you kind of get steeped in all that history even if it is a myth it's, it's kind of nice it's kind of nice to have that kind of traditional oh absolutely yeah. it's in a beautiful spot yes it is have you been to cooperstown i have i loved it oh, it's beautiful i loved it and i hope to get back there very soon maybe, maybe next summer <laughs> well you know they've just opened that county that cooperstown is in oh have they that's just that's one of the counties. I checked it the other day when when the governor announced the counties that he would be partially opening. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what that means for the town of Cooperstown. I I hope it means good things. Yeah, I do too. Good. Okay, so let's get back to Doc. So um yep. New York Knickerbockers. That's that's yep. a, a lot of his history kind of evolves around that. So you talked a little bit about that in, in your uh in your opening. Uh, but can you talk a little bit more about who are the Knickerbockers? Because I b- believe, aren't they recognized as the first, if not, or one of the first, you know, baseball teams as we know it, as we know the sport? Well, there were all sorts of variations of baseball going on in New York City right. prior to the Knickerbockers in 1845. Uh, in fact, there was the New York Baseball Club. Mm-hmm. But the Knickerbockers, if anything... They left the best records because they recorded everything. And they were also, they were good collaborators. They they took a lot of the elements that these men had already been playing mm-hmm. with, with different groups and sort of coalesced it into what we would recognize today as baseball. One of their innovations when they formally organized in 1845 was that they no longer allowed plugging or soaking. That means you could no longer throw a ball at a runner to get him out. Okay. That had been allowed up until that point, and they abolished that rule. Interesting. You know, and it it makes a lot of sense, because Mm -hmm. baseball was really sort of a child's game, Mm -hmm. but you can't have grown men throwing a ball at somebody to tag them for an out because that's just dangerous. Yep. Yep. Of so course. that was the thinking. 
So they were one of the first ones to do that. Okay. And so Doc played for them, and he was an executive. Yes, he was. Uh, I think he enjoyed the playing more than the executing, but he did both. Oh. Okay, so let's see. Um, so he was with the club. I'm looking at my notes here. He played for 17 years. Was that all 17 years with the Knickerbockers? Yes. And he played all positions except pitcher. That's interesting. Yep. Yep. And shortstop was his favorite. Right, so let's talk about that a little bit. So um, the story is that he invented shortstop. How did that come about? Well, Doc, as well as everything else he did for the club, he made all the balls and he supervised the manufacture of the bats because there were no commercial companies making these things in New York. Mm -hmm. Everything was handmade. So without, you know, without the bat and balls, there wouldn't have been any baseball game to play. So Doc took it upon himself to make the baseballs. But they were very light, so you could bat them quite a distance. You just couldn't throw them very far. So he created this position between the out and the infields Mm -hmm. to be a relay position, to bring the balls in from the outfield into the infield. Okay. And as the equipment got better, as the balls got heavier and tighter, then the position moved into where we know it to be today. Before that, it was a little farther out. Interesting. So that's where uh, softball has a 10th tenth, uh, tenth, uh, fielder that yeah. generally plays in that general area. They're a, are kind of a rover in the uh, short outfield. Yes. That makes, that makes an awful lot of sense. Um, okay, so... Let's talk more about the rules. So was it when he was with the Knickerbockers? Is that when he um, he was appointed to some sort of a rules committee, if, if I remember correctly? Is that right? Yes, that was in 1848. Okay. When the club formed in 1845, they had already been playing for several years. But September 23rd of 1845, they formally organized with a constitution and laws and all the rules of play and rules of membership. So in, in, on September 23rd of 1845, when, when the club was formally organized, they set down their constitution and their bylaws and the rules of play. And, but Doc had already been playing with the New York Baseball Club that had their own, own rules. Mm-hmm. And many of the players of the New York Baseball Club then join the Knickerbockers. So if you think of it like a soup, everybody brought different rules with them Mm -hmm. to form the Knickerbockers. And so I guess they sort of decided which ones they liked, which ones worked for them based on their own experience, plus what they had brought with them from from other groups that had played the game. But the Knickerbockers were not the first. Mm-hmm. That is a is, is a bit of an exaggeration. As I said before, they left the best records. Right. More so than any other club that was playing at the time. And there weren't and there weren't really many clubs that were formally organized. So from eighteen forty five to about eighteen fifty one, the Knickerbockers really didn't have anybody to play against except themselves. They did play that famous game on 
June 19, 1846, and Doc did play in that game against the, the, the members of the New York Baseball Club. But then that was their last game against another club until 1851. And Doc was always interested in the rules of play, and by 1849, the Knickerbockers had played in enough games amongst themselves that it was time for another meeting to redo some of the rules. And Doc was then president of the club and was appointed to the committee to oversee the, um, the uh, redo of the rules. I see. So that, that... And, you know, I think as a doctor, that appealed to his sense of precision and organization because he was also a mathematician. Like his father. Yes, I had read that, and and, and I also have a degree in math, so I, and I love baseball. So the, when I read that on, I think, on Doc's website, that, that really, um, I found that fascinating. And that kind of goes to one of the other rules that you discussed earlier was the 90-foot base paths that Doc came up with. I've always found that, long before I read about Doc, I had no idea that he had something to do with that, but I've always found that absolutely fascinating because... 90 feet is almost a perfect distance for baseball because you have, you know, if it was 88 feet, then probably every single infield ball hit would be a base hit. And if it was 92 feet, everyone would be out. Yes, there was a sports writer in the 50s by the name of, I think, Red Allen, Mm -hmm. I think that was his name, who said 90 feet between bases is as close as man has ever come to perfection. Oh, and, and that's what I was trying to say. I agree with that completely. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Me too. Yeah. Me too. It, it had originally been 42 paces between bases. Okay. And that's not very precise. No, it's not. Because that, that, that varies with the person doing the pacing. Exactly. So that was a major innovation for the game, and that was part of the importance of the 1857 Laws of Baseball that he wrote. Mm-hmm. And many people are now saying that 1857 is, is really one of the most important dates in baseball history because it really grew up with those laws of baseball, one of them being the 90 feet between bases. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. when baseball grew up. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. Um, couple other rules that were in the laws. Um, I want to get to these in case our connection has a problem. <laughs> um, okay. Nine players. I don't know much about the laws. Be, be careful. I'm, I'm no expert on these laws. I'm talking about the book. The, didn't they call oh, the okay. rules the laws of baseball? Wasn't, wasn't yes. that the name of the document? Okay. Um, so he also, you had mentioned that you could not throw balls at each other, but prior to Doc, um, the balls could be caught on a bounce, correct? Yes. Well, that rule was in effect until 1866. Okay. Well, 1866 was the first playing season where it was strictly a fly game. Mm-hmm. Doc hated hated the what they called the bound game, meaning a ball caught on one bounce was an out. Right. He hated that, and he tried to change it for years and years, but he was never successful. Part of that, I've been told, was because a lot of the newer players did not know how to properly catch a ball. 
mm-hmm. because nobody had gloves. Okay. So there were a lot of hand injuries if the ball was caught incorrectly. And I've had vintage ball players tell me that they try to catch the ball two hands as if they're catching an egg. Mm-hmm. Because they don't have the gloves. At this time, they don't have the gloves right. to protect their hands. So that was one of the reasons that the bounds game stayed around as long as it did, was, was a concession to the newer players. Right, right. Okay, good. But, so, um, okay, so this was all in a book called The Laws of Baseball. Baseball, two words, as a matter of fact, right? Yes, and, mm-hmm. and so so he is the author of the uh, the laws of baseball, and I understand that recently this was uh, you had some um, involved. Well, you weren't involved in the sale of it, but you got to see these these laws. Yes, I did. Actually, it wasn't a book. Um, the the laws of baseball that Doc wrote was four pages, three of which have survived to the twenty first century. The laws of baseball that Doc wrote and the other two accompanying documents, and we could talk about that for an hour at least, <laughs> they sold in April of 2016 for $3.26 million. Wow. Yeah, wow. No, <laughs> the family did not own them, and the family did not buy them. It would have been nice if we could have done either, but then if we'd owned them, they never, we, we never would have sold them. Right, but, right. In January of that year, I got an email from someone I trusted who said, you're going to get an email from this person who you've never heard of. It's not spam. Open it. And long story short, I went to an undisclosed location where in the conference room spread out on the table were the 14 most astonishing pieces of paper I've ever seen, the first three being Doc's handwritten laws of baseball. Wow. And I recognized the handwriting instantly because we have about a dozen letters written by Doc in his later years. None of them mentioned baseball, of course, but Mm -hmm. just a dozen family letters. And uh, there they were spread out on the table. I I could hardly believe it. Wow. The man who owned them had bought them at, at, at a Sotheby's auction. They were just sort of duck in with a lot of something else that he was really interested in, which is why he was making the purchase. Mm-hmm. And this was, I think, in 1998. And he bought this lot of papers for about $12,000. <laughs> wow. And he <clears throat> he looked at the laws of baseball, shoved them in a drawer, and forgot about them. And then in 2015, he decided to do something about it. And long story short, after having them verified and authenticated as Doc's handwriting and the writing of the other two gentlemen involved in the committee. They sold in April of, eight, of, nine, of 2016, I'm sorry, I'm getting my centuries mixed up, mm-hmm. for $3.26 million. Wow. At the, at the time, it was the third highest paid for any sports memorabilia, and at the time, the second highest paid for any baseball memorabilia. Wow. And you don't know who bought them? Yes, I do know. Oh, it, you do it, know. Uh, it was kept quiet for a very long time, and and I've, I've not spoken with him, but he and I, oh, yes, actually, we have spoken on the phone for about an hour, 
And it's a man who lives out in San Diego. He loves baseball. He's an attorney. And he loves American history. Wow. And he, he's never purchased anything like this in his entire life. It is the only piece of baseball memorabilia he's ever bought. But wow. he read about them, and since they combined his three great interests in life, he decided he had to own them. Hmm. Wow. And some of the pages went, were on display years ago at the Library of Congress in Washington. Fascinating. Now, does the the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, do they have them or copies no, of them? No, they do not. No, they do not. Oh, that's that's unfortunate. So, well, so that's, that's that's really that's really uh, fascinating. So you you got to so th- that's quite the um, feather in your cap that that somebody you know respected what you're doing enough to let you see those documents. Yes, and and it was, and I couldn't tell anybody. I had to sign a confidentiality agreement. Wow. And nor will I ever say where I was, or who I met. Real cloak when and I dagger. Saw them. <laughs> Maybe you can be in the movie someday when the the story of Doc. Oh, Adams. there you go, there you go. That's <laughs> what the world needs: me in a movie. Um, the, I think the world will continue without that experience. Mm-hmm. But awesome. um, yeah, it was quite exciting, and I couldn't tell anybody. And I said to this nice man, I said, "Oh, I've got to tell my sister." He said, "Yes, you can tell your sister." <laughs> That's good. And I said, "I will swear her to secrecy." Good. And. Uh, so, anyway, oh, that, yes, it, it was a thrill. It was an absolute thrill. Great, great. Okay, so let's let's start talking about um, what you're doing with trying to get Doc in the Hall of Fame. Uh, so first, first, I guess it, it sounds like baseball establishment is on board, um, right? You um, from from the things that I have read, uh, Saber, which is the what is it, Society of American Baseball Research. That's a, yes. a pretty mm-hmm. highly respected. They're the ones behind um, Saber Metrics, and uh, I don't know if you ever saw the the movie Moneyball, but Moneyball was all about analytics and baseball. They they reference uh, Saber a lot, um, so they're a very respected baseball establishment. And I understand that they have recognized Doc. Um, not officially as an organization. Okay. I I think that's a little bit of a stretch. Okay. Individual members have been very supportive, mm-hmm. uh, especially my local Sabre chapter in Connecticut has been very supportive of my efforts. That's but I, I, I wouldn't say that Sabre has come out officially and said, this is what we'd... Although, in 2014, Doc did receive the Sabre Award for the 19th Century Overlooked Legend, well, that so certainly that sounds. Nice. Yeah, that's that was some nice recognition. Absolutely, that might be what I'm thinking of because um, I definitely had read something, and that sounds familiar. That that he got yes. that that, and and also you had mentioned John Thorne earlier. Um, he had a, a quote. Um, I've got it written down here, and again, he's the official MLB historian, correct? Yes, he that's is. Suspicious. Um, he said the truth uh, that. Um, Doc Adams is the true founder of baseball, and you've never heard of him. Yes. Which is, um, mm. that says something that it comes from the official historian of Major League Baseball. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he also said um, that Doc is first among the founding fathers of baseball. Ah, 
That's 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 a nice. Uh, yes. A nice day. Have you met? John is, have you met John him? John has been very generous in his praise, and yes, I have met John on several occasions. He's been very helpful to me, sharing his archives with me, because he knew I was a complete blank slate mm-hmm. when we met. He and I met in 2012, and um, he realized pretty quickly I didn't know anything. Oh, that's and, nice. Uh, compared to John, I still don't know anything. <laughs> and Nobody I'm... will ever know as much as John Thorne when it comes to baseball. I will say that I picked up his book on your recommendation on one of the other interviews I've read that, that you took part in. Um, is What was it? Baseball in the Garden of Eden? Something like yes. that? Yes. Oh, isn't that a great book? I have it. I haven't read it yet. I, I just got it delivered a few weeks ago. So It's, it's, it's a great book. You know, it, it's interesting, and, and this is really important for anyone who's listening. When they're reading on baseball history, they really should look at the date of when it was written because new things come out all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that book of John's is fabulous, but the laws of baseball hadn't been discovered yet. Yeah, that's right. So it's, it's, uh, they're also, it's, so it's just important to, to read when, when this thing was written, whatever you're reading. Mm-hmm. I got into an argument with somebody one night on Facebook who was making the most outrageous claims. And I'm thinking, goodness, this is absolutely counter to everything I know. And I said, well, maybe I'm really the wrong one. So I finally said to him, what is your source? And he messaged back and he said, oh, this is a book written by Branch Rickey in 1960. Wow. And I'm thinking, oh, dear God. (laughs) <laughs> that's 60 years that's over 60 years ago i mean i finally said to him there's there is some newer research from 1960 yeah that's good it that was you, hard <laughs> it's good that you set him straight hmm. yeah well i you know and i sometimes find it hard to be polite about it because no matter what history you're reading who wrote it and when did they write it mm-hmm Exactly. No matter what you're reading of a historical nature. Yep. History changes, unfortunately. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so let's let's keep talking about the Hall of Fame a little bit. Um okay. why do you why do you think Doc is not in the Hall of Fame? I think it's a matter of education. Mm-hmm. People really didn't know about him. Doc never promoted himself. We do not have one thing in Doc's handwriting about baseball. He never wrote a letter that we have, Mm -hmm. never seen one, never left a diary about it. Hmm. Uh, He just didn't talk about it. Right. So... And so, therefore, most people have never heard the name. Right, right. Which has been my mission over the last nine years Mm -hmm. to change that. So so what have you been doing? um, I know I've seen, you know, you've... You've been um, speaking engagements and things of that sort, but what, how, is, how have you been going about trying to get him in the hall? Oh, well, pretty much what you, you've already said. Mm-hmm. Whatever speaking engagements I could, could get, I did join Sabre, which mm. was great. Oh, I've met the nicest people. And I've been able to spread the word that way. And then social media. Doc has a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And Doc has a website. So everybody can go there, 
and see a great deal there and learn more than we could ever talk about in in, oh, yeah. in the time allotted. So it's just a little bit at a time. I Obviously, I can't make any grand gestures like getting on the Today Show or anything like that. But So it's just whatever little things I can do. And, and a year and a half ago, WCVB-TV out of Boston mm-hmm. on their Chronicles program did um, – did a, it's a magazine format show. Yeah, I'm familiar with did it. Did a program on whatever that pretty little route is that goes through Mont Vernon. I forget the number. I route think it's 13. 13, that's right, 13. Oh, actually, and, I, I know the show you're talking about now. It was it was recently. It was like last year or something, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep. a year and a half ago. It was January or February of last year. Yeah. And they did a whole little program of going up Route 13. Yeah. And when they got to Mont Vernon... They interviewed Zoe Fimble of the Mont Vernon Historical Society, who talked about Doc. So that got him some notice in Boston, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. Boston. So it's little steps, and a lot of people have helped me along the way. Yeah, and so, but you did get him on the ballot in 2015. Yes. Was well, that somebody got him on the ballot? Okay. I made enough noise that somebody noticed Doc Adams, and he got on the ballot. He, uh, it was the pre-integration committee ballot, mm-hmm. and he missed it by two votes, but he got the most votes of anybody on the ballot, so not bad for his first time. Not at all. And he's going to be back on the ballot this year, correct? Oh, I hope so. I hope so. It's been renamed the early baseball era ballot. Mm-hmm. And they've broadened the years. I think it starts now in 1951 and earlier. Okay. So there's a larger field of players mm-hmm. that could be nominated. But I hope Doc gets nominated. And if he's nominated, I sure hope he wins. So when will... Because it... the next... I'm sorry. I was going to say, when when will the nominations be announced? Do you know? I think they'll be... Late October, early November. I'm trying to remember from last time. So if it's the same as last time, mm-hmm. it should be late October, early, early November. And then and when will then, they vote? When will they vote? Then it should be at the winter meeting at the winter meetings in December. Okay. If if it all holds true to last time. Mm-hmm. Of course with this epidemic Goodness knows what'll happen. Yeah, I know. It's, it's uh, although don't want to paint silver linings and on unfortunate things like this. But um, if Doc were to to get elected to the Hall of Fame this year, he would be inducted alongside of Derek Jeter. I know. Isn't that fantastic? Wouldn't that be very poetic? The, oh, the, the first. My fingers are so crossed. You have no idea. The, the first shortstop and the best shortstop yeah, inducted together. I, I wrote Derek Jeter two weeks ago. Oh, did you? Just... Oh, I got very bold. I have no expectation of hearing from him. Mm-hmm. And I wrote it before the decision had been made not to have an induction ceremony this summer. Because mm-hmm. I said to him, well, you know, this is why I'm writing. I said, and so maybe this summer when you get your plaque, you'll you'll think about Doc Adams for for a split second. Mm-hmm. I have no expectation of hearing back from him, but if Doc gets in, wouldn't that be fun next summer for the 
for both of us to be there. That would be great. That would be oh, great. Oh, I just, I think that would be wonderful. Well, I, I, I sure hope that works out for you. Oh, thank you. Me too. I'll, I know I'll be, I'll be watching somehow. I'll, I'll try to try to figure out how to. Uh, um, maybe I'll just follow Doc's Facebook page. I guess that's the best way to keep up with it. Oh, sure, and our website because mm-hmm. we post things all the time on the website, and then I try to get them up on Facebook as fast as I can. Great, great. All right, super. So have we, um, we've covered the major points. Correct. I, I can't think of yeah. anything that I that I think we've missed. So, so this has been great. So, what what can people do to help if people want to help you, you know, get this done? Um, is well, there any, that's always hard. That's always kind of a hard question to answer. I know you do have they a peti- can, you do have a petition on your website. Is that something that you think makes a difference? Sure. Okay. Sure, because at some point we we will announce number of signatures that we have. If they let their friends know, if they have any friends who are sports writers, sports writers don't have much to write about these days. Yeah, maybe they'll write something about Doc. Yeah, and there are some there are some um, prominent baseball writers in Boston. Absolutely, so and be... a lot of them have no idea who Doc is. Uh, are you familiar with Dan Shaughnessy? He's a he's yes. a he's a big baseball writer in Boston, yes. and he is actually from this area. I think he, I think he grew up in Groton, Massachusetts, which is just south of of uh, the you know the New Hampshire border. Um, but I saw him speak at the Amherst Library a couple of years ago, and um, he just kind of grew up in the southern New Hampshire area. So he might uh, I'll, I'll try to forward him this this podcast, and maybe I can get him to listen to it. And who knows? Come December, what do you um, hope to be doing? Are you is this something that maybe maybe I hope to be <laughs> you hope to be there? Well, you know there. Go ahead. Sorry. No, you go ahead. I was, I was just wondering, like, how you're going to. Is this something that you're able to watch? That you can like watch the voting take place, or I don't know how these things un- unfold. Um, last time, the, uh, the the voting is done in secret, but the ballot will be announced probably on MLB.com, their live stream. Mm-hmm. In which case, I will be watching. And last time, Jane. Forbes Clark announced it, and I have no reason to believe she won't do it again, Mm -hmm. and uh, I will be watching, and either way, there will be crying in baseball. (laughs) I just don't know what sort of tears there'll be, because you see, the next ballot that Doc will qualify for won't come around again for another 10 years, Okay, and I'm not a young woman. (laughs) So if there's any chance that I'm going to live long enough to see it, this year is it. Well, let's hope this is the year. Me too. I have Me a good too. I have a good feeling because you've you've got the word out. the uh, The laws were sold since the last um, vote, so that didn't. Yep. That, and um, and I think the Derek Jeter connection is big. I really do. You know, it, it's it, it's it's really good PR to um, to be able to do both of those in one year. I hope so. And that would be such fun. It would be. That would be such fun. I'd love that. All right. Well, thank you very much, Marjorie. I guess this is a good well, time to wrap this. Well, thank you, Tim. It's my pleasure. I had a lot of fun, and, and it looks like all the technology worked. So um, It sure did. Thanks <laughs> to you. 
Once again, I want to thank Marjorie Adams for taking the time to sit down with us today. If you want to learn more about Doc Adams, go to his website at docadamsbaseball.org or look up his Facebook page at facebook.com slash Adams. That's all one word. If you want to help Marjorie in her quest to get Doc into the Baseball's Hall of Fame, consider signing the petition that you can find at his website. Thank you also to everyone who has listened in today. I hope you enjoyed the discussion as much as I did. Our theme music for today's episode was written and performed by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or most major podcasting apps. You can also stream directly from our website at granitetalk.com. As always, we welcome any and all feedback or suggestions you may have for future episodes. We invite you to go to Granite Talk's Facebook page at facebook.com slash granitetalk. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you join us again for another episode of Granite Talk. Thank you.